Welcome to this conversation. I'm your host, Teresa Keller. My guest today is Dr. Marissa Richmond, and I found her because this is LGBTQ month, and I wanted to acknowledge that and see if we could educate our audience a little bit more about some of the LGBTQ issues. Dr. Richmond is the Davidson County Chair of Metro Human Relations. She's a faculty member at Middle Tennessee State University in History and Women's Gender Studies. She has education from Harvard, Berkeley, worked at the Smithsonian and the Air and Space Division. That's quite a resume. Welcome to this conversation. Good to be here. Of course, Dr. Richmond, the the key thing that I did not mention is that you are a Black transgender woman. Right now, I am sure you feel like you're in the throes of battle and it feels like there may never be a victory because you're in Tennessee and Tennessee is now being referred to as the state of hate related to their laws, the recently enacted laws on transgender issues. So let's just start by going over some of those laws One of the things that Tennessee is doing that it's one of only two states to have done is to ban access for health care from doctors for kids in terms of hormonal treatment if they say they're transgender or that they're trans, that they feel like they're in the wrong gender. Uh, Talk to me about that and correct my language because I'm not using probably the proper terms. No, actually, uh, the, the terms are correct. Um, uh, the law that was signed, uh, passed by our legislature, signed by our governor, uh, again, uh, does deny uh, gender-affirming care, especially hormonal treatment, uh, to those under 18. So our legislature, uh, many of them uh, uneducated in science, are now trying to practice medicine, uh, telling medical professionals uh, how to treat their patients. Um, uh, they're, they're not that many um, uh, affirming doctors for you. Uh, They're concentrated in just a handful of the large cities like Nashville and Memphis. Um, But the reality is that uh, the kids, they know themselves better than anybody. uh, And the doctors who work with them are experts in these fields. uh, And now a a bunch of politicians who have no background, no expertise in these fields are are now telling them what to do. Uh, And we're, you know, they can still meet with uh, and counsel students, but they cannot uh, provide uh, hormones. Um, and so um, obviously there will be a legal challenge to that law, but, but this is a, a challenge to these kids, to, to their identities. Uh, we believe it'll lead to higher rates of depression and possibly even suicide. And Dr. Richmond, you were one of those kids. I was uh, looking for information about you and that it was at age seven that you said that you knew that something wasn't right for your life. You were born male, but you felt differently. Can you tell us about what that was like so we can understand a little bit more? Well, you know, most of us uh, sort of come to that understanding and realization. I wasn't out of the closet. I didn't talk to anybody. But yeah, at the age of seven, I knew I felt different. I I just, you know, most of us uh, find that uh, sometime in in early youth, uh, a lot uh, tend to figure that out in puberty. You know, uh, of course, uh, when I was uh, young, uh, there weren't a lot of resources. Uh, certainly, uh, information was was lacking. There was no internet. Uh, we had to use smoke signals to pass messages, <laughs> and um, and so it was it was hard to, to find any information whatsoever. And uh, so a lot of us uh, in my era grew up uh, alone and isolated. It wasn't until um, you know most of us were adults 
that we're able to finally start accessing information and resources. The young people today, um, they're obviously the internet. Uh, it's a lot easier to get information. There are more resources, uh, support groups for young people. There are adults like myself who are out, uh, who are not only visible role models and uh, but advocates uh, in communities all over the country. Uh, we've done a lot of work in educating medical professionals in medical schools and and as they enter their practice, uh, they're much better informed than ever before. So those kids today have access as long as their families are supportive. And then, of course, that's a, a second issue that a lot of young people still have to deal with around the country. Do you mind telling me how old you are or at least close? Uh, I'm in my 60s. OK, you're in your 60s. So. You know, you joked about smoke signals, but truly, I mean, even from the time when you were a kid and you're saying there was no information, how did you identify what the problem was? What were the symptoms and signs? Well, I didn't see it as a problem. I just knew I felt different than, than the other kids, uh, the other boys I grew up with. But, you know, there was, again, there was no way to, to I, I didn't view it as a problem per se. I just didn't understand it. And I didn't know how to ask the questions and there was nobody to ask. And uh, it wasn't until really I got to high school. My high school would happen to be directly across the street from the Vanderbilt University Library. And so uh, during free periods, I would go over there and start digging through the stats and finding information. And so um, I had the advantage over a lot of other people that I was able to read a lot uh, and find information that the average person in my, my generation didn't have. And slowly but surely, we started to see things on television, um, you know, especially some of the late night talk shows. I've always been a bit of a night owl. And I remember staying up late and watching The Tomorrow Show with Tom Snyder. And he interviewed people like Christine Jorgensen and, and Holly Woodlawn and uh, and so I started to learn uh, that there were people out there who um, had sort of shared similar life experiences. And slowly but surely, I, my, my consciousness, my awareness was raised. So here you are knowing that something is different. You're born male, but you don't somehow feel male. Would there have been a way that your family or your friends would have described your behavior? Did they see you as being different or did you go out on the football field or did you do the typical male things, but inside you didn't feel it was right? Well, I, well, I, I my school actually ironically didn't have a football team, but uh, I did run track. One of my teachers uh, I, from high school, I, I, I sometimes see her around uh, and she said she had no idea. I gave no clues. I didn't tell anybody. Uh, and they gave no indication. Some people hide it very, very well. Some people don't hide it at all. But, but I kept it very well hidden and nobody knew at all. So you were trying to act male when inside you didn't feel male. Right. Now, let me ask you another question. And I'm sorry for the personal nature of all this, but it's just, I guess, what has to happen for people to get understanding. Feeling like that you were born in the wrong sex is not the same thing as sexuality. It doesn't mean that somebody is just gay or the sexuality can be can go either way, right? Yeah, and 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 actually, uh, that that phrase you just used, being born in the wrong sex or wrong body, that actually was a common sort of password that was uh, that was used by many people to gain access to medical resources. That phrase has fallen out of use. Nobody uses that anymore. We just say, you know, I was born transgender, period. We, we recognize that, you know, that uh, people are born uh, different. 
Um, and uh, so I was just born the way I was and raised the way I was. And that's just my life. And that's the way it is uh, for, for most people. And like I said, uh, what's happened, uh, especially for advocates today, we made it easier for people to come out at, at an earlier age. But we recognize, especially if their families are not supportive, or especially if they're in rural areas and isolated from resources, uh, many of them remain closeted uh, until they're able to, to break away. Uh, many of them move to large cities. I'm in Nashville, and we've become a, a magnet for many people, especially here in the state of Tennessee. And so a lot of people, and, and across the South, Atlanta, New Orleans, Miami, places like that have become uh, islands of hope and safety. And, and so a lot of uh, young people, when they can break away, that's where they go and they can start to come out of the closet and find a community. I'm sure that there were lots of struggles and difficulties for you in keeping this secret and pretending to be somebody that, that you weren't. I read something that I think sounds kind of sad. It's You knew at age seven that you were born transgender, but you didn't come out about this issue or you didn't change until your parents died. Was that because you thought they wouldn't accept it? You were protecting them? What was that like? What was that about? Yeah, basically that's that's what it comes down to. Uh, my mother had a, a, a massive stroke. Oh, actually, both my parents had strokes and um, my mother was incapacitated. And so um, she was in a, a nursing home for the last three years of her life. And, um, and then I ended up having to take care of my dad and I just decided not to cause him any additional stress or strain. Um, during those three years, my mom was tied up to the tubes and wires. You know, my dad was obsessed with her health and I didn't want to add any, uh, anything else to it. So you protected them from additional stress, but I would imagine that that put additional stress on you. And I've read, and it's of course understandable that a lot of transgender people do suffer uh, from mental health issues, depression, and difficulty in, in dealing with the world. Well, I was able to, uh, I, I had my own place. I was able to get out, um, but, you know, it was, it was tiring. My guest today is Dr. Marissa Richmond. Uh, she lives in Nashville. She's the Davidson County Chair of Metro Human Relations, a transgender woman who is dealing with political fallout from people's attitudes about transgender people in Tennessee, where Tennessee has said, for one thing, that uh, doctors can't provide hormones to kids. They've also made it illegal in Tennessee for a transgender person such as yourself, Dr. Richmond, a, a male who transitions to female, and they would say to you, if you were in high school now in Tennessee, it's illegal for you to participate on a woman's track team. Yeah, the, the, the sports bans have been passed by several states, Tennessee, Mississippi, Arkansas, a few others. And um, it's just based on uh, ridiculous notions. Uh, for starters, uh, the number of people who are coming out per school is usually only one or two. Um, um, half of them are trans boys. And so uh, they, they want to compete as boys. Uh, and these laws, um, uh, depending on how the specific language is written, would force them to compete as girls. So boys are actually being forced to compete as girls uh, in some of these states. And, uh, and of course, not everybody wants to play sports. Some people would rather do something else, um, you know, on the dance team or on the, the, you know, the drama club or even the chess club. 
Um, not everybody wants to play sports. And the ones who do just want to be uh, fit in. Um, you know, they just want to, because their friends play soccer or volleyball, and they just want to be there with their friends. And uh, like I said, I ran track, and I knew if I wanted to go to the Olympics, I was going to have to buy a ticket. I wasn't going to earn my way there as a runner. You know, the fact is that these laws are, are creating problems. Uh, you can hardly find. So so the the number of, of uh, potential state champions in a state is probably only one or two for an entire state across all of the, the sports. And so the idea that they're banning people, banning children in particular, not allowing children to be children uh, is ridiculous. And that's why we're fighting back against these laws um, everywhere. Uh, the American Civil Liberties Union of Tennessee is taking the lead uh, in organizing the potential plaintiffs uh, to challenge the law here in Tennessee. We believe it's unconstitutional. Constitution, the 14th Amendment says equal protection under the laws. And this is denying uh, children uh, equal rights, equal access to to uh, to facilities and to resources, and in this case, sports. So from the situation you've described, it sounds like in the entire state of Tennessee, should there be one transgender female who wins a track competition because she was born male, that all of this law is like a sledgehammer to kill a gnat? Yeah, and so far, we don't know of any trans athletes. Like I said, most don't even want to play sports. They don't care about sports. And, uh, and the few who do, it's more likely they're going to play a team sport, like I said, soccer or volleyball. So they're just going to blend in because they just want to be part of the team. They just want to be out there with their friends. What else is going on in terms of your political activism? I know that you and other Tennessee officials have issued a statement. You can tell us about what that statement was, but what difference is it going to make is what I'm wondering. Well, well, there are five of us uh, in the state who have uh, local political appointments. Uh, as you noted, I'm the chair of the Human Relations Commission here in Nashville. Uh, we have uh, another uh, trans woman in Nashville who serves on the Metro Arts Commission. And then we have three in rural counties on the uh, Election Commission of Putnam County, which is uh, where Cookville, Tennessee Tech is located. One who's on the Title VI Compliance Board in Weekly County, where the University of Tennessee Martin is located, and then one who's on the um, Housing Authority in Tullahoma, Tennessee. And so the five of us got together a few days ago, and we just issued a statement um, pointing out that these five laws, four transgender-specific, target our community and include us, uh, even though uh, as a couple of the bills you just talked, or laws you just we just talked about, uh, specifically uh, focus on youth. But nonetheless, um, we're, we're community leaders. We've been entrusted with leadership roles by our respective local governments, by our local mayors and, and councils. Um, and that, that we felt uh, it was important for us collectively to stand up and speak out against discrimination against trans people in our states. Um, <clears throat> we, are, we live in Tennessee. We vote and pay taxes in Tennessee. Uh, two of us are Tennessee natives. And this is our home. And that everybody uh, should feel safe and secure and respected in their home uh, of all ages, of all walks of life, uh, from those kids just trying to make it through school uh, to the transgender adults in both big cities and in rural areas across the state. Uh, everybody's contribution is important. Everybody's contribution should be recognized. And so that's why we felt we uh, had to take a leadership role in speaking out. But mainly your hope is in the appeals courts 
system, it sounds like. And we all know about the Supreme Court, what a hard turn it's taken to the right. So, I, I mean, can you imagine getting a sympathetic hearing at the Supreme Court? Well, we did get a very positive ruling last year uh, on three cases, one of them transgender specific with regard to the employment protections, Title VII of the Civil Rights Act in 1964. Uh, the sex discrimination language there bans discrimination in the workplace. Um, so we're also seeing a, a number of executive actions from the new uh, administration related to housing uh, and healthcare, uh, service in the military. Um, and uh, we're working with Department of Justice, Department of Education uh, also to follow up on, uh, on enforcement of Title IX for these education-related bills. Uh, and we have a federal bill, uh, the Equality Act, which has already been passed by the House of Representatives. Uh, and we're working, uh, trying to find some sort of parliamentary maneuver around the, the filibuster, which has been a subject for on a lot of topics. Uh, but the Equality Act, we are very, very close to, to passing. The president has urged Congress to adopt it. He has pledged to sign it if it reaches his desk. So we're, we're almost there and we're working very hard. And the Equality Act would actually supersede a lot of these state laws, including these Tennessee laws. And so, um, so in that case, we wouldn't have to go through the courts. And, and, and it would take one simple vote in the Senate uh, and we'd be there. It would be done. Uh, your Facebook page has a picture of you with President Biden. Can you tell us quickly about when and how that happened? That actually was um, uh, 10 years ago this month um, at the White House. Uh, he was vice president then. And um, so um, I got invited to the White House LGBT pride reception. So I actually met President Obama first. Um, and then after uh, after I got my my photo with President Obama, I went back into the East Room. That the, pres the photo with President Obama was in the diplomatic reception room. It was a one on one meeting and then uh, went back into the East Room and President Obama came and spoke to the, to the rest of the people at the party. And then people were just wandering around, um, talking and eating and having a few adult beverages. And then the vice president came in and uh, I elbowed my way into the group and handed someone my cell phone and said, take my picture. And so I, I have just literally uh, an hour apart pictures with the two of them. And that was literally 10 years ago this month, June of uh, 2011. I bet you were really like, exciting. touch me, I have arrived. <laughs> I want to turn to more delicate questions, Dr. Richmond, and I know what people will say is other people don't have to answer these questions, but, and you don't have to answer these questions, but I'm just wondering what are the biological possibilities you're born male, you have male genitalia. I'm not asking you personally what you had done, but can you tell us what the possibilities are surgically and for people who are transgender female? Well, first off, uh, to be transgender, you have to be born, period. That's it. Once you're born, you, you identify as transgender, you are transgender. So there's no no, no procedure to become transgender. Uh, uh, but what people choose to do uh, to, to sort of find fulfillment uh, varies from person to person. Um, uh, for some, it is hormones. Uh, for some, it is some sort of body surgery. Uh, can, uh, you know, um, it, it does or does, it does not require genital surgery. Um, and in places where we still have uh, genital surgery laws, we're trying to eliminate those laws. Um, the, a person's medical status is uh, nobody else's uh, business, not even government. Uh, that's a private medical matter. 
uh, between a person and their medical professionals. Um, and uh, so uh, even uh, like changing a driver's license, there are some states that still require genital surgery for that. And we're trying to eliminate those requirements. Um, uh, your, your, your medical status is personal. And so, um, uh, but, but some people choose to do that. Um, some insurance companies are starting to provide that coverage, uh, mostly through employer, uh, employee packages, benefit packages. And we are urging all employers, both private and government, to cover that for their employees. Um, that doesn't mean a person will exercise those, those benefits, but we want that option available for the people who choose uh, to go that particular route. I'm going to press one more time, and I'm really nervous about asking these questions, so forgive me and thank you for your patience. But if someone were to elect genital surgery, what can happen? Just a basic biology lesson. Can uh, the penis be removed? Can there be some surgery that makes something like a vaginal canal, just to be real specific? Well, especially for uh, male to female, um, uh, the, the most of the material is, is uh, some of it is kept. Uh, so there's still sensation. Uh, it's used to make a clitoris. So a person does have a full experience. I guess I can, whatever the right word is. So, uh, so that's kept. Um, the, the bigger challenge is for uh, female to male because a, a penis would have to be artificially constructed. I know there's, there's continued work on that uh, around the world. Uh, I, I have to admit, I don't keep up with all the, the medical details. My focus is on political issues. So uh, I don't know what the, where the status of the, the surgeries is, but I do know that, that, um, uh, that, that people, um, you know, are, some do try to access those surgeries, but not everybody. Well, thank you for answering that. The other question that I want to ask you, because I have a sense of what it's like to be an activist for decades and to feel like, you know, you're beating your head against the wall. And I'm wondering if you go and you talk to politicians and they sit and listen to you and seem to be understanding and empathetic and then vote, go vote against transgender people, make these kind of laws. What kind of experiences have you had like that? Well, the ones they vote no, they pretty much make it clear in the meetings they're going to vote no. I mean, uh, I, you, I'm very rarely surprised by a vote. Um, uh, it is frustrating. Um, but we actually have been making real progress. We're passing laws, uh, especially at the local level around the country. Uh, and in, in, in several states this year, we've been passing several laws that ban discrimination and or eliminating conversion therapy. Um, uh, some states are also liberalizing a document change, gender changes on documents. So we're making progress it's so, in some states. Most of the focus is on the anti-trans states like Tennessee. Um, and, uh, and so, uh, you know, we look at those, those gains, the positives, uh, the increased numbers of elected officials. We now have a state senator, Sarah McBride in Delaware. We've got several state house members around the country. Um, uh, we've got people running uh, uh, for various offices. Of course, uh, President Biden has appointed two trans people so far in his administration. Dr. Rachel Levine is the Assistant Secretary of Health. Uh, and then Sean Skelly, we're still waiting for her confirmation vote, uh, but she's been appointed to a position in the Department of Defense. Um, previously, President Obama had nine trans people who did not go through the confirmation process. So we're expecting uh, many more uh, appointments uh, from this administration in the next few years, in addition to the 
the ones that are now going through the Senate confirmation process. Uh, and these are the first two um, that have actually gone through that process. And the fact that uh, Dr. Levine was confirmed uh, was, a, was a real positive. Uh, and I just saw a story yesterday that she was uh, meeting with some trans youth in, in the District of Columbia and having uh, positions like hers and having role models uh, like her and many others around the country uh, is important. And, um, and, and people are starting to recognize as we, as I talked about with our, 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 our Tennessee letter, that um, that that we make all sorts of contributions, some in the political arena, some in other arenas, um, but that um, but that people need to recognize that trans people can do all sorts of things if we're simply given the opportunity. You know, it's isn't it just the age-old thing of whether it's race or sex or whatever? We're people. We're just people. And it's the simplest of kindergarten lessons. And it seems like it's the hardest lesson for us to learn as individuals, as a society, as in different groups. We've talked a lot about the political situation here and the personal is political, but it's also often faith-based. I'm wondering what experience you had in churches or the messages you got growing up in your faith-based life. Well, me personally, um, I grew up in the, the Unitarian Universalist Church, so it wasn't uh, judgmental at all. But a lot of people grow up in much more conservative churches, uh, and those are the ones who, who struggle uh, because their faith is condemning and judgmental. And, um, you know, and we certainly sympathize for those uh, and try to provide resources outside their churches for those um, who, you know, often have to break away from the church in order to, to be uh, to find self-acceptance. Um, and then, of course, again, I always go back to the Constitution. Uh, the First Amendment is supposed to guarantee a separation of church and state. So one of the things we point out is that the, the role of government is not to impose someone else's religion on you. Um, and so uh, we fight back against these notions that, that government should be used to promote any particular faith. Uh, and we're, we're vehemently opposed to that. And, uh, and so, um, you know, people can believe whatever they want to believe, but it is not the role of government to push a particular religious doctrine on the rest of society. My guest today, Dr. Marissa Richmond, who is a Black transgender woman on the front lines of activism in trying to get the world, the political system, everyone to realize that everybody's just people. Thank you so much for being with me, Dr. Richmond. I really appreciate your patience and in telling this story over and over. This is This Conversation on 90.7. I'm Teresa Keller. You can find this program Wednesdays at 6 and Sundays at 2. We thank you for tuning in. And let me remind you that you can listen live to our stream at www.wehcfm.com. And you can also find our archives at the website, wehcfm.com, and you can find shows that you missed or replays of shows that you loved. Thanks again for tuning into this conversation.